as we kick off our last week of the Address the Mess series that we've been in, this series, honestly, has challenged me personally. I don't often get the opportunity to teach all the way through a series like this, and as I have, and as I've spent time studying, it's, it's really... It, it's challenged my heart in a lot of different ways, and I hope that it has yours too. Because as we've looked at addressing the mess of our limitations, and we've looked at addressing the messes of our hearts, and now today we're going to be looking at addressing the messes of our minds, and particularly doubt. And, and as we do that, I would love to hear um, if, if God has been doing anything in your lives over these past three weeks. So if you would, you have a moment this week, would you, would you shoot me a message either on Facebook or on email or something and just tell me about what God has been doing in your life over these past weeks? I would love to know. But before we dive into that today, I want to give you just a little preview of what's to come over the next couple of months. So starting next week, we're going to begin a new series, just a three-week series. And this series is going to be called Encounters with Jesus. And, And we're calling it that because we're going to look at some snapshots of ordinary people who had encounters with Jesus and how their life changed dramatically as a result of these encounters. And so next week, Pastor Todd is going to be with us to kick that off, and he's going to look at how a Roman officer's life changed by coming into contact with Jesus. That's going to start next week. And then following that, We're going to go into a five-week series where we are going to really take a walk through the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. And I love when we get to spend a little extra time in in one particular book because we can can really go deeper into some of the things in that book. And so um, I'm glad we're going to get to do that. And in fact, as a as a bit of a study guide for us as we go through this, a lot of the pastors who are speaking during that series are, are going to be going through this book together by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal Prophet. And we're kind of going to use this book as a launching point for the series. And so if you wanted to follow along with us, you want to get a jump start on what that series is about, I, I encourage you, get this book from the library or from Amazon or whatever you do, get this book and read it, and you can get a jump start before we even get to that series. But that is all down the road. Today, we want to finish our Address the Mess series. And, and as I thought about this topic this morning, it reminded me of something. It reminded me of a, of a story... Um, of years ago, and I was, I was wrestling with God about, about how he wanted to use me in ministry. I knew he wanted to use me. I just wasn't quite sure how, and I was, I was in a wrestling match with him. And so as a result, I spent a couple of years uh, in a fourth grade classroom as a teacher. Seems like a lifetime ago now, but, but I, I remember specifically in one of those lessons, a language arts lesson in the classroom, uh, we looked at the story as, fourth, as our fourth grade at the Titanic. And, and I know many of you know this story of the Titanic. In fact, I think I probably enjoyed this story more than my students enjoyed this story. And, and if we remember, this, this ship was built... In the 1900s, it was slated to be the best ship that was ever built. I mean, no one, 
No one had ever seen anything quite like this. It was not only luxurious, but beautiful. Multi-millionaires found it impressive. I mean, I mean, it was promised to be the safest means of travel. It was described as being uh, indestructible. It was described as being unsinkable. I, I, I mean, and yet, we know how the story ends. Sadly, that wasn't the case because on April 14th, 1912, only four days after the Titanic left the harbor, we know it hit an iceberg. And when it hit the iceberg, the ship broke in two and it sank to the bottom of the ocean. Only 705 people survived because of the lack of lifeboats. We know the story. Tragic. And, and, and no one could have ever imagined the scene. I, I mean, the Titanic was... Unsinkable, it was indestructible. How does something like this happen? Well, years later, now looking back, we know. We, we, we have a better understanding of the reasons that it sank and that it was rushed to completion by a deadline that was looming. And so as a result, they used cheap steel and they had poor rivets. And they had, uh, This ship was doomed from the beginning. We know that now. But I wonder... Why? Why was the Titanic like that? It it clearly wasn't built and designed to survive a massive hit from an iceberg. And, 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 And as I think about the story and the reality of what happened to it, that it was unsinkable, but that it did sink, and, and it got me thinking about something a little bit more personal. And it and it started getting me to think about my faith in a lot of ways. It made me ask this question to myself as I remembered this story that I, I want to pose this question to you today too. And maybe we could think about this. Can my faith survive when it runs into the iceberg of doubt? Is your faith strong? Is your faith built well? Or does it have poor rivets? What's going to happen when you hit the iceberg of doubt. And notice I said when, not if. Because we all know that those things come and they come fast. You will hit. Because you're either in one of two categories. Either you're in the category where you haven't hit an iceberg yet, things are going along okay, and nothing has caused you to doubt your faith. If that's you, great. But I want to give you the sobering truth. It won't last long. An iceberg is out there waiting for you. When you hit it, you will doubt your faith. That's a sobering truth. Or you're in this category. Category two, you have hit an iceberg, and, and you've maybe hit many icebergs, and you're well aware of the jarring effects that it takes when you hit these massive things. You know how your life can become rocked when this happens. And that's why today's topic is so important, because we need to address the mess of doubt in our lives so that our faith can not only withstand the hit when it comes, but it can thrive as a result of this hit. So first, let's, let's just take a quick look at what the word doubt really means. When we say that, what are we talking about? And I look to this definition by the author Oz Guinness, and he writes this. I think he puts it clearer than I could, so I'm borrowing his words. He says, it's the Latin word for doubt is dubitare, and it comes from the Aryan root meaning to. To believe or have faith is to be in one mind with regard to accepting something as true. To disbelieve 
is to be in one mind about rejecting it. To doubt is to waver between the two and so to be in two minds. What he is saying here is, look, you can fully accept something as true with one mind. You can fully accept something as false and unbelieve it with one mind. When you doubt, you're in the middle bouncing back and forth between belief and unbelief over and over again. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more more exhausting or more unsettling than going back and forth between belief and unbelief. And this is why doubt is so, so disturbing and disheartening, especially when you don't see the iceberg coming. And so I looked to Scripture, and it surprised me what I found when I looked at this. I, I was surprised, and, and, and I, I loved this. I ran across uh, this professor who says this to his students, and, and he writes to them, says, when I speak to college students, I challenge them to find a single argument against God in the older agnostics or the newer ones that's not already included in books like Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, and Lamentations. God seems rather doubt-tolerant, actually. This surprised me when I looked to scriptures. And I wonder if it surprises you because Scripture is not trying to gloss over doubt. It's not trying to hide it. It's not trying to pretend it's not there. It doesn't hide its head in the sand. In fact, it does the exact opposite. It, it actually it, it tells full stories of real people who have real faith just like you and I, but they run smack dab into the iceberg of doubt, and now they're left not knowing what to do. And that's how we are. When we have doubt, what, what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? So this morning, I want a quick look at two stories. Two stories uh, that are really case studies of real everyday doubt that you and I struggle with and how we can overcome it. The first case study I want to look at, the first story, is of, um, of a skeptic man. And we're going to call his intellectual doubt. The second story I want to look at is when uh, Jesus encountered a hurting dad, and, and he's struggling with some emotional doubt. And so I want to first start with the skeptic. And to give a little background, Jesus has just come on the scene. His ministry is growing. People are starting to know who he is. People are getting excited about this man who could possibly be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's growing in popularity, and he comes in contact with this guy named Philip. Philip is beyond excited to see Jesus. I mean, he, he's met him, and he's, he's thrilled, and so he can't wait to share that excitement with his friend Nathaniel. So Philip, he runs to go tell his friend Nathaniel what he has just seen, and this is where we pick up in John chapter 1. And it says, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And then I, I kind of chuckle at Nathaniel's response to Philip, who's so excited. He says, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, could anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you can hear the skepticism and doubt in Nathaniel's voice here. I, I would expect, if I'm Philip, I want my, my friend to respond with, Yes, let's go see him. 
I can't wait. Take me to him now. That's what I wanted him to say. But instead, he makes fun of Jesus' hometown. He mocks it. He belittles it. His question about this is laden with, with skepticism and sarcasm. And he has good reason for it because from the outside looking in, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be from this town called Nazareth. I mean, that's ridiculous. Nazareth, Nazareth was a small, obscure town. It really, if you weren't from there, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think anything of it because of its lack of prominence. It, it, it meant nothing. It served no purpose. I, I mean, it would have been the last place on earth someone like the Messiah would be born. And, and, and to say the Messiah came from this place is a laughable comment. No one would claim this. And, and, and I can almost see the scene in my head as Philip, so excited, goes running to his friend. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. I got to tell you something. I, I saw Jesus, the Messiah, and his friend just going, yeah, right. You got to be kidding me. I doubt it. Unfortunately, the same kind of intellectual doubt that, that, that happens today in us too. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller, he says it best, I think. He says that many people today view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth. They say, yeah, right. I doubt it. And maybe like Nathaniel, you have family or friends or, or co-workers who, who honestly, they've come to you and they think that your belief in this Jesus is laughable. They look at you and they go, yeah, right. They make fun of your decision to, to, to make life choices based on prayer or based on what scripture has to say. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're questioning everything about you saying, really, do you actually believe prayer works? Serious? Do you really, really think that, that any of this stuff is real whatsoever? I mean, you're going to look to this book of made-up just stories that are fairy tales to guide and direct you through life? Are you kidding me? Those are the questions that we hear over and over. I know you've heard them, and I've heard them too. Or worse, maybe you are the Nathaniel in the story. You're the skeptic. You're the one that, that just can't quite believe the claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So your comments to your friends are, you know what, you just believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I believe. You live your life, I'll live mine, leave me alone. Maybe that's your response. Or, or maybe you're in this category, which I bet the majority of you are. The category that says, you know what, I do believe in Jesus. But logically, Logically, there's so many questions that cause me to go back and forth between belief and unbelief. There's just too many things. I do believe in Jesus. I, I do believe that he went to the cross for me. I do believe that he, he was raised from the dead three days later. I do believe that, but there's still, there's too many things in these pages that I can't wrap my mind around, that I can't come to grips with. I just, I just can't believe it. And, and, and we doubt. And don't feel bad because I've found myself 
in the same boat doubting as well at times. So I guess I wonder, what do we do when that happens? Where do we go with that? Well, I'm going to tell you in a second, I first want to talk about the hurting dad. Because the hurting dad isn't an intellectual doubter. The hurting dad is an emotional doubter. And I feel for this guy. My heart goes out to this dad because he is at the end of his rope. His son is hurting. His son is struggling. There's nothing worse than that. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Mark that his son is demon-possessed. Now, I imagine that, that none of us have experienced anything quite like having a son or daughter that is demon-possessed. Although, if you have three-year-olds in this room, you might question that at times. It's just, it's not. But none of us have experienced that. It's foreign to us. But the principle here remains the same. When you're dealing with pain, when you're dealing with hardship in your life, whether it's spiritual pain, relational pain, physical pain, it can cloud your view of God. And when it does, look what happens to this father as it goes on in this story. It says, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. And he replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Do you hear the doubt? Catch that? Because Jesus sure did. Because Jesus then goes on and questions him back. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. And the Father instantly cried out this prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. My heart aches when I, when I look at this dad because my heart has been in this guy's shoes before. And, and I think, you know, there's three places in our faith that we can ultimately land when these things happen. We can either be in resting faith, which ultimately is like a person who's in a safe boat, and they're able to help others get in, that could be where we land. Or, or we could land in, in a place called the clinging faith. That is like a person who is hanging onto the side of the boat, just struggling. Or, or we could land into the struggling faith category. That's the person in deep water desperately struggling and swimming. And, and I tell you, we hear in this, this story a dad whose heart is struggling. He is in struggling faith. And he tries hard to affirm his belief in Jesus. He tries to ask him to have mercy on us and help us. But then he quickly, he quickly moves to doubt. And he says, if you can... And then Jesus questions him. What do you mean if I can? And then so the, the dad tries again. And, and so he says, he says okay, I, I do believe, but, and that little word, but, that conjunction, is packed full of so much power and meaning. He says, but, help me overcome my unbelief. I imagine... There's a lot of people here today who would fall in this dad's category. Because when you or someone you love is facing something that's hard, when someone you love is hurting, 
the emotional pain we feel, it, it leads us to believe at first. We go, okay, Jesus, help. Help, have mercy on us. Do something about this. We start in the believe category. But then you know what? Over time, we've prayed and nothing seems to happen. Boy, God's not answering our prayer quite like we thought he would or like we expect or would want him to. And all of a sudden, we move to this place of unbelief or doubt. Maybe you believe God cares about everyone else somehow, but did he forget about me? Does he care about me? Because he doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. And I'm just, I want to keep it real this morning with you. In fact, I want to be really honest because, hey, next week Todd's teaching, then Eric, and then Jay. I'm not going to be back up here for several weeks. I might as well get it all out of my system. <laughs> Let me be honest. I struggle with this kind of doubt in my life. I struggle with it a lot because being a pastor is one of the hardest callings I have ever had on my life, ever because I love people. And it is really, really hard to see people I love hurting all the time. I pray week after week for many of the situations that I know you're going through. I pray week after week for the prayer cards that come in. I see them. I pray for hurting marriages. I pray for your job losses. I pray for that eviction notice that got posted to your door last week. I, I pray for your kid who walked away from their faith. I pray for cancer. I pray for addiction. I pray for those things that you are facing every single week. And I tell you, I feel the weight of those burdens as I carry them to the Lord heavy. This is hard. And, and if I'm being honest, there are times when doubt begins to creep in. When I go, Lord, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something here? Help! But it's not being answered the way I think, or as quickly as I would like. Doubt begins to creep in. It's hard not to. You know, these are just the big things. I have my family things too. And in fact, just this, this week, yesterday, I did a funeral for a sweet woman in our church, Kathy Patterson. Oh, that was hard. That was hard. Earlier in the week, a gentleman in our church passed away that we've been praying for for two and a half years faithfully. Every single week, his wife would write on a prayer card, please pray for my husband's cancer. And we did faithfully for two and a half years. And he passed away this week. That is hard. I, I don't know. I don't know why, but doubt can, can creep into those moments. It can creep into the small moments in our insecurities that we have. And our inadequacies, inadequacies that we're feeling, it can happen when we look at the world and we become paralyzed with fear because we don't quite know what the future's going to hold. Doubt can creep in. But what do we do about this? 
What do we do about this emotional doubt that throws us back and forth between, between hope and between desperation? What do we do? Well, what if I told you these two stories, they have far more in common than, than we could ever realize. And it isn't about which kind of doubt you're facing. That's not what I care about. What I care about is where you take your doubt. And so if you remember nothing else I've shared with you today, remember these three important words. Doubt to Jesus. That is the key to this whole thing. It isn't whether or not you will doubt. It's what you do with that doubt. Doubt to Jesus. And if I look at our skeptic for a moment, and Nathaniel, he's doubting, his friend Philip does something spectacular. If you are a friend of a doubter, do what Philip does. Learn a lesson from Philip because Philip doesn't uh, belittle his friend. He simply says this to him when he doubts. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip says, come and see for yourself. Just come and see for yourself, he says. He doesn't give him pat answers. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't try to talk him out of his doubt. He doesn't get into an argument with him. He doesn't take it to Facebook to make him look foolish. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't argue him. He just simply says, you know what, friend? Come and see for yourself what I'm talking about. And then it goes on. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, man of complete integrity. And then... And then Nathanael says, well, how do you know about me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. This may not seem like a big deal to us, but what it did to Nathanael was it indicated that Jesus knew him intimately. And how in the world could Jesus know him intimately? There was no possible way. He didn't know Jesus They'd never met before. They didn't cross paths. They weren't friends. Jesus had no way of knowing this about him, and yet he did. And I wonder if you're here today, and you're like Nathaniel, and you have real intellectual doubts, then let me put you at ease this morning, this morning by telling you, you're not the only one that struggles with these things. And Jesus gives you room to doubt this morning. That's okay, but let me also challenge you with this thought. If you are in this room and you're the Nathaniel and you're questioning all of these things, your response is going to be critical in helping you to overcome your doubt. Because in the end, the most important thing Nathaniel does in this moment, and this is hard for skeptics, is he recognizes he doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't know it all. And he comes with an open heart to hear more. Skeptics in this room, that is the heart I challenge you to come to Jesus with, an open heart. He laid his pride aside for just a moment and he responded humbly. I mean, imagine if Nathaniel didn't do this, if he would have responded differently. Imagine how his life would be different. He would have never come in contact with Jesus. His life would have never been changed. He would have never gotten a new heart and a new mind. I mean, I mean the story would have ended so much sadder than I'm sure that it did this day. So skeptic, learn from Nathaniel and be open to what you might not 
No, please, we can and always should question the truth. I challenge you to do that because you can question God. He's big enough for that. And if he's not, then he's not that big of a God. Question it. That's okay. But please do so coming humbly with an open mind and and, 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 and a mindset where you can doubt your doubts. Because when we're open and we're honest, then, then of what could be, it's there where we often find what, what we're missing out on the most and what we need the most. So please don't miss out. I invite you, come and see for yourself today if you're a skeptic. What if you're an emotional doubt, though? What then? Well, then I would encourage you to be open to what you need the most. In fact, looking at this story again, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked, anything's possible if a person believes and the Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Just like Nathaniel, Jesus doesn't come to this man and scold him or make him feel guilty for doubting. He leaves room for him to doubt. That's okay. But what Jesus does do is he reminds him of what he truly needs here. And it's not healing, although healing is important. What he truly needs here is he needs to know that Jesus is his everything. Regardless of what the outcome of this situation is, Jesus is still enough. He's still enough. And a spoiler alert, Jesus does heal the son, just so you know. But I wonder how we do this. And, and, and so we take a lesson from the dad. In the midst of swimming in this water, he reaches out to Jesus and asks for a, a life preserver. He's honest with Jesus and he says, I just, I just can't believe right now. And I bet you're there. When an iceberg hits, there are times where we go, okay, Lord, I don't get this. I just am, I'm having trouble believing right now. And that's okay. Take those to Jesus. Continue to be honest with him. Take your doubts to Jesus. And over time, I promise you this, over time, as you continue to put your trust in Jesus, he will turn your doubt into faith. That's why I, that's why I memorized Psalm 91 too, a long time ago. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. I say that over and over. I trust you because I know it's in these moments he's going to turn my trust or my doubt into faith when I trust him. So I want to leave you with these three thoughts, the three groups of people. The first group is this. Maybe you're here today and your doubt has consumed you. To the point where you just, you just can't believe. You don't believe. Let me encourage you with this. Please humbly, with an open heart, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Pursue a relationship with God, even if you think it's silly. Pursue it. Give it a chance. Consider the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. Or in the lives of others, for that matter. Consider it and come with a genuine heart. Maybe you've never prayed before. I encourage you, talk to God 
It might feel silly or weird at first if you've never done it before. I encourage you, try. Try, just see what he does in your life. Come and see for yourself. Or maybe you're in the second group. And that is, you do believe, but you haven't believed for very long. You're, you're a newer Christian, a newer believer, and now the icebergs are starting to come. They're starting to hit, and, and you're starting to feel those doubts creep in. Let me encourage you with this. Hang on. Continue to bring those concerns and those doubts to God. Continue to bring them. Continue to let Him know how you're feeling and what you're thinking. Doubt to God. Continue to be honest with Him about all of these things. And cling to your, your friends and your family, your church family, who have been walking with Jesus for a long time because they have something to offer you. And that leads me to our last group of people. That is you here today who have been following Jesus for a long time. You've, you've taken on icebergs. You've gotten hit. And you saw God's faithfulness through those and you came out the other side even more trusting than before. You have stories of that happening in your life. I encourage you, Remember the stories. Tell the stories. Share them with us. We need to hear those stories of you getting hit and having doubt, but then coming through the other side, seeing God's faithfulness over and over again, and it strengthened you. We need that strength. Encourage us with those stories. I ask you, come alongside a new believer in their faith and share those with them. Help them through these times. We need you to do that. Don't keep them to yourself. It was in a room with 12 guys. And one of those guys, his name was Thomas, and he, he was having a hard time. Because the other 11 guys told him, We'd saw, we've seen Jesus but Jesus had been crucified. How is that possible? He was dead. And the 11 said, we've seen Jesus in Thomas. He, he doubted. He said, I, I don't see how this can be. And Jesus came to Thomas that day. And Jesus came up to Thomas in the midst of his doubt and gently came to him and said, Thomas, put your finger here. Here, put your finger there. Look at my hands, Thomas. Then he said, look at my side where they pierced me. Put your hand in my side, Thomas. Do that. And then he spoke these words to Thomas. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. To which Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God, in that moment, come and see. You want to address the mess of doubt in your life, bring those doubts to Jesus and come and see for yourself. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. I thank you for your grace in these moments. Lord, for even your word, that it doesn't gloss over these tough things that we feel, that it, that it, that it shares stories and it talks about these things and it helps us. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you give us room for these things, but you're there. You're always there. And I'm praying for people in this room, Lord, that as they're struggling with their doubts and their things going on in their lives, Lord, I, I pray that, 
that you would move, that, that your presence would be real to them. Lord, that ultimately, when they get to the other side of whatever it is that they're facing, Lord, that their faith and their trust in you would be stronger than ever. That we would know that it is you, Lord, that, that we need more than anything else, regardless of the outcome. We trust you, Lord. All these things, I trust you. And lay them at your feet. It's in your name I pray, amen.